This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, I get to talk to someone who not only is an attorney like me, he went on to bigger and better things. He's now a justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court. He also played at Notre Dame and in the NFL. Pro Football Hall of Famer, Alan Page. How are you doing, Mr. Page? Justice Page, sorry. I'm, I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so used to calling people by their last name, I forgot they have to call you Justice. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll work. <laughs> Sounds good. Wait, wait I, a second. He can't send out any arrest warrants across state lines, can he? <laughs> uh, I think David's okay. I, I, I wouldn't worry about the arrest warrants. <laughs> I read somewhere that, I know you're from Canton, I read that you actually worked on the construction of the Pro Football Hall of Fame when you were in high school. Yeah, once or twice I was I was working for a construction company that was doing some work there. I mean, it wasn't anything major. I probably swept a few floors, a few, a few slabs of concrete. So your initials aren't uh, in, in cement someplace there in Canton? No, by the time I got close to him, the cement was well set. <laughs> How did you end up in Notre Dame? At the time, I had uh, a choice of a number of schools, and that just seemed to be the one that provided the greatest opportunity beyond uh, the football field. Was it a, an easy transition going from Canton to South Bend? Well... It was a transition for, you know, it's a transition for any young person leaving home for the first time and uh, off to a place where you really don't know anybody. But I managed to make that transition, and in, in retrospect, I think it was a very good decision. What was Eric Parsegan like? Uh Great coach, very uh, driven, very determined, very uh, much focused on uh, doing those things and putting in place those things which would allow a team to be successful. During your time at Notre Dame, did you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to be a pro football player when I get out of here, or what were your goals? That was not something that I was particularly focused on. I was uh, um, basically trying to get through school. I had hopes one day of becoming a lawyer, but I hadn't really thought about professional football. When you played in the national championship game, what was that like? Well, uh you have to understand my approach to the game, whether it was a national championship game or uh, just another game. Uh, they were all pretty much the same. The, the goal was to go out and perform as well as you could and uh, hopefully come away successfully. Now, the 1966 season is extremely memorable for the 10-10 the tie with Michigan State. Mm-hmm. After the game was over, what were you feeling like? I was tired, <laughs> beat up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
just you know worn out. I mean, it was a tough, hard-fought game, and um, it was it was you know a feeling of exhaustion, but more or less glad that it was over. Did you guys think to yourselves, you know what, this might have hurt our chances to win a championship, us not playing for the win? Quite frankly, I, I don't think that crossed my mind. Um, you know, you go out and you play and you do the best you can, and you do all those things. You hope you do all those things to give you the best chance to win. And... Um, the fact is that that day we didn't win. As it turns out, we didn't lose either. Now I'm old enough to remember that game, and I, you know, there was there was a pretty uh, substantial buildup. What was the week preceding that game like uh, inside the Notre Dame football team? Well, there was a lot of tension, a lot of pressure. But as I say, from my perspective. Um, I approached it as just another game. While there was a lot of attention, both local and national, the fact is that um, if you're going to be good at what you do, if you're going to be successful, you have to approach, at least for me, I had to approach each game um, as though it was the important one and it couldn't possibly be any more important than, um, you know, the situation you were in the week before going into the one the week earlier. I mean, that's the important one then. Uh, the week we played Michigan State, that was the important one. And um, to me, it was no more important than whoever we had played the week before. If there was a trial... Because you can't do anything about the past ones, and you can't do anything about the next ones, but you can uh, do something about the one that's in front of you. And so that was always the the critical uh, game for me. If there was a trial, it would have been a hung jury. You would have got at least a new trial. Well, uh, as it turns out, you know, football games aren't trials. <laughs> we... Uh, had another game to play, and so we didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time uh, focused on that one, no more than normal, and then preparing for the next one, which also wasn't anticipated to be any cakewalk. When you got drafted by the Vikings, were you excited, or did you basically want to get on with your life and go into law? No, I was I was excited about the opportunity to play professional football. Uh, it was it was a, a chance to do something that um, continue doing something that I enjoyed and being paid for it. Now, 1967 NFL draft was the first combined draft between the, with the AFL and NFL, and four of the eight first picks were from Michigan State. There was a, a Notre Dame. Paul Seiler picked at number 12. You got picked at number 15. Did you think you should have gone higher, lower, or did it not matter? I, You know, I, to the extent that I was thinking about playing football, I was happy to be drafted. And um, it didn't, didn't much matter in what place. 
What was the transition like to playing professional football? Uh, it was, you know, learning new people, learning uh, a different game a bit, and in my case, learning a new position. Um, I was a defensive end at Notre Dame and uh, got to Minnesota, and they had Jim Marshall and Carl Eller at the defensive ends. And quite frankly, both of them were exceptional. It wasn't likely that I was going to be uh, as good as either one of them were, and uh, so I, they, somebody saw something in me that uh, had them switch me to defensive tackle. And once I started uh, down that road, it just it all came pretty naturally. Now, your first season with the Vikings was also the first season of Bud Grant, uh, who had coached in Canada but now was in the NFL. What was he like? Uh, stoic, as he is, you know, has been projected to be, but uh, also very focused on uh, creating a team atmosphere that allowed the players to uh, minimize the mistakes and increase your chances of success. When you were named the MVP of the league, what was that like? Um, it was pretty exciting, and you know, it's not something that happens to anyone every day, and certainly not something that I had anticipated or would have ever thought would have happened. So I was, I was pretty pleased. And then later in your career, you had a, a defensive line coach named Buddy Ryan. Right. Well, what was he like then? Uh, Buddy was always very feisty, um, a great coach, understood the game, uh, both offensively and defensively, and again, one of those people that put you in the position to uh, allow you to be successful. I loved working with, uh, with Buddy. Did you have a favorite coach when you were in the NFL? Uh, if I had to say there was a favorite, it was probably Buddy Ryan. What made Buddy your favorite compared to the other coaches? He um, was a coach who had high expectations, and as long as you fulfilled them, uh, didn't spend a lot of time wasting time (laughs) and energy on things that weren't particularly relevant to getting the job done. Now, you were part of the great defensive line that was known as the Purple Peter People Eaters. Did you did you like that label? Did you, did you like being lumped together with one group, I guess? Well, w- clearly we were a group, and clearly um, we had a lot of fun uh, playing together and working together. And, uh, as, you know, as names go, uh, you don't have much control over it. Uh, and so that's what we got named. But I loved being a part of uh, a group. I mean, it was a group of great, not only great football players, but uh, talented football players, but a group of good, good, uh, good people. You must have had a lot of talent on those teams to make four Super Bowls there. Well, um, you could say that. I mean, we we were very fortunate, but also we were very talented. How hard was that 
going to those four Super Bowls, not coming away with a win? Well, you know, I, I, I said earlier that for me it was about the game that's in front of you. And you go out and you try to win them, and you do everything you can. And uh, whether it's a Super Bowl or a, a game like the '66 game against Michigan State, or quite frankly, a preseason game, the, the object is to go out and play well and do the best that you can. And for me, uh, did I like winning, uh, losing those games? No, but I don't like, didn't like losing any game. And so. Um, while it was it was hard, it wasn't particularly that much harder than uh, losing any of the other games that I played in that we lost. And uh, over the years, while uh, the teams that I was on fared better than they uh, statistically should have, um, the ones we did lose, I wasn't particularly amused. William Lanier, I think, told it, said it best to us. He said, you know what? You play your hardest, but it's just a game, and too many people forget that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the fact is that nobody wins all the time. Uh, some people uh, never seem to be able to be successful. And uh, for me... Uh, it was always, I guess, one way to describe it is, for me, the journey was more more important than the destination. And certainly, how you how you did what you did along the way um, was was what was important in terms of of the playing, and in terms of the rest of it. You're right. I mean, it it is just a game. It was just a game. As much as it is just a game, it's also a business. And you became an NFL uh, player rep fairly earlier in your in your career. How did that come about? Well, you know the the football back in the 1960s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and before even before that, um, the players didn't have many. Uh, Rights in terms of their where they played, um, the the other terms and conditions of their employment, and um, I got involved in the players' association early on to try to improve those terms and conditions. And while our success was modest while I was playing. Uh, I think it did pave the way for uh, the uh, working relationship that, when I think a very good working relationship that uh, players and owners have today. I think your greatest achievement was what you told me, and you're the first person to, out of all the players I've interviewed to tell this to me was not anything on the field, but it was marrying your wife. That was your greatest tackle, you said. Well, I've been married to my wife, Diane, now for, uh, it'll be 40 years, 40 years in about a month. And um, in terms of 
what's important. Uh, that's the the best thing that's happened to me. It's the most important thing that's happened to me, and it's led to uh, you know children, grandchildren, and uh, just a life that uh, one couldn't hope for more. Is, is that what led to the children's book, Alan, and his perfectly pointy and possibly perpendicular pinky? Well, that was certainly a part of it. Uh, about 25 years ago, Diane and I started an education foundation. And because this is our 25th year, we wanted to do something to celebrate. And so it was suggested that uh, a children's book... Uh, given the emphasis that I've placed over the years on uh, educating young children and teaching children how to read and the importance of reading, that a children's book might be something that uh, would be perfect for uh, that 25th year celebration. And so my uh, youngest daughter and I sat down and... Um, thought of what we might put into a, a children's book. She's a, my daughter Cammy, she's a second grade teacher. And so with her uh, sense of what that age group, what would be appropriate and fitting for that age group, uh, we sat down and talked about it and eventually came up with the idea of the, a book about uh, about my pinky, if you will. And while it's a book about my pinky, it's really a book about uh, curiosity, uh, the importance of listening to children, uh, the excitement and fun that children can have, and the, the child that lives in all of us. How did you end up getting the perpendicular pinky? Multiple dislocations uh, <laughs> that ended up with the ligaments on the inside of the finger being uh, destroyed and the ligaments on the outside of the finger pulling the finger out. And so um, it's been this way for quite a few years um, the first time I injured it it was in the middle of the game I don't even remember what game it was early on in my career with the Vikings and Jim Marshall who played next to me uh, saw me holding my finger as the other team was coming up to run the next play and he uh, grabbed it pulled it back into place and away we went no one could say that no, no one can say that Notre Dame players aren't smarter than USC players because Ronnie Lott would have cut the finger off. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if I had been a little bit smarter and started taping it to the finger next to it, um, it might still have some of those ligaments on the inside functional today. But I was a little bit of a slow learner, so I dislocated a number of times before I figured that out. Well, I, I don't think you're much of a slow learner. You, you did go to law school while you were playing. How difficult was that? Oh, 
you know, it was it was challenging, uh, but. It provided me the opportunity after uh, nine years of professional ball football provided me the opportunity to uh, do something with my head besides use it as a place to store my helmet and so I found law school fascinating and challenging um, I look back on those days and think that um, it was a, a very good, positive, important part of my life because it, it really did allow me um, or force me to um, extend and expand my thinking, my view of the world, and um, I just I couldn't have asked for more. You have to retire from the Minnesota Supreme Court when you're 70. They have that retirement age. Any hope we of have a mandatory? We have a mandatory retirement age. Yes. Any chance of seeing you possibly on the U.S. Supreme Court? Because we haven't had a football player since Wizard White. I think I'm a little past my sell-by date for that. <laughs> well, you know, those guys last pretty long, you know. They they do, but they 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 start out a little younger than I am. <laughs> Going from the Vikings to the uh, Chicago Bears, uh, an easy transition, a sort of a surreal transition, or what was it exactly? Well, it was. It came at a point uh, in my career where um, I had probably been in Minnesota playing too long. It uh, reunited me with Jim Finks and. Um, Neil Armstrong and Buddy Ryan, the people of Chicago, uh, welcomed me, welcomed my family. And so it turned out to be um, a really positive experience. We, I personally and uh, my wife and my children, uh, we had a great time. We had a great time in Chicago. Those were, those were good days. What is it with Canton? As such a small town, you've got more guys in the Hall of Fame, I think, than any other small town. It's you, Dan Dierdorf, what, Marion Motley? I can't Marian even... Motley. Well, the fact is that northeastern Ohio, uh, particularly Canton, Maslin, Alliance, Warren, uh, football is very, very important there. And it's something that... Uh, is a part of those communities in ways that you don't find in many places. And uh, there's some, there's a little of that same thing in northwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, that football is just uh, very important and, and that draws out the best of the talent in those communities and there have been a lot of good talent. What was your induction weekend, like, it, it, it was more than just going home for for a couple of days, I will assume. Yeah, it was much more than that. It was, uh, first of all, it was hot. <laughs> it's always hot in Canton in, in August, hot and humid. But it was it was uh, kind of neat to be recognized uh, and appreciated by uh, 
the people in your hometown, people that, you know, knew you when. And uh, so that was that was kind of nice. It was obviously uh, exciting and fun to be recognized uh, for my football. And it gave me uh, the opportunity to talk uh, a, a larger platform to talk about uh, some of the things that I think are important, particularly the importance of education. You've achieved a lot in your life. Is there something that you still want to achieve? Well, I like to think uh, that the the important achievements are on the horizon out there somewhere, and um, I'm, I'm trying to think through how I might um, have some impact, some greater impact in inspiring and motivating and assisting uh, children engage in learning. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet, but that's what I'm looking forward to doing once my days on the court are over. Now, I see that you have an extensive collection of Jim Crow era memorabilia. We do, what, yes. What what prompted that? Well, for me, growing up in the 1950s, an African American child in the in, in the days when Jim Crow was everywhere, the days when we lived in a uh, state-sponsored, racially divided society. Um, it, it, it's important that those days not be forgotten, that we recognize that everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter the color of their skin, no matter what their religion, their ability or disability or gender or what have you, that uh, everybody is entitled to fair treatment. Uh, in terms of the law, everybody is entitled to equal justice. Uh, and those pieces of memorabilia are a clear reminder that that hasn't always been the, the case in this country. And I think we forget at our peril. What is your most valuable or most expensive piece of memorabilia? You know, I don't collect it because it's expensive or not expensive. That's um, uh, not something that interests me. What interests me is the, the history, uh, the reminders, and the fact that we cannot uh, lose sight of where we've been. So I don't spend a lot of time, uh, and, it's, and really the question is, what are, what are the important pieces? Right, what's the most and, important piece to you? Uh, we have uh, a number of, of uh, 
signs, one of which was from a Greyhound bus depot in uh, somewhere in Alabama that uh, it's a sign that lights up that says colored. Uh, that one's important. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have the, the Jim Crow era uh, memorabilia. We also have some wonderful uh, pieces of art of, of African American art, and also uh, probably the most important thing we have is a um, well. As I say, we, one of the, one of them is, is is another reminder of the Jim Crow era. We have a Ku Klux Klan uh, uh, robe, uh, which is a, a a striking reminder. And at the same time, we have um, a funeral banner from Abraham Lincoln's. Uh, one of the funeral processions that when they took his body by train from Washington, D.C. back to Illinois, we have a funeral banner from that time. On one side it says, it says, Uncle Abe, we shall not forget you. And on the other side it says, our country shall be one country. Now, we have an African-American president. Do you say to yourself, gee, we've come a long way, or do you say to yourself, gee, there's still a, a long way to go? Because I, I can remember the 1950s and, and what the world like. Clearly we've come a long way, but we do still have a long way to go. It's it's a combination of both. I'm, I'm uh, excited about the, the the distance we've come, but there's still a long, long way to go. Thank you so much for your time, and good luck with the book. I, I have three kids, 9, 8, and 7, in Catholic schools, and they enjoy reading. Well, you know, one of the things that reading will do for you, it'll allow you to do that. It, it, it puts you in control of your own future. All right, that concludes another wonderful Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guests, Warren Moon and Alan Page. And another Hall of Famer, our executive producer, Dave Olson. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next week.